Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace. Hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're discussing the first two seasons of Star Trek Enterprise. Yay! And it's the first two seasons because, one, it seems like the series really reboots itself in season three, but also that's as far as I've seen. So <laughs> It definitely does reboot itself. They do a, a whole... They kick everything up a notch. I, I sort of got that with the season two finale, but uh, yeah, let's start at the beginning. Did you watch Broken Bow when it aired? I did. I don't necessarily remember anything about watching Enterprise the first time mm-hmm. as it aired, but I definitely did. I Not every episode. It it lost me. <laughs> not, right. not, not, uh, not right away and... I came back sometimes, but definitely I have not seen every episode <laughs> because it just sort of fizzled fizzled out for me. I wasn't I wasn't it didn't catch me in the same way. I had a lot of little little problems that built up over time. No, I think that puts it very well. I'm a huge, huge Voyager fan, so it was difficult to go mm. from Voyager to Enterprise. I had the same problem, plus I was quite burnt out on Star Trek as a whole by the end of Voyager, and at the time I thought it was a problem with the show, and certainly season 7 of Voyager was not amazing. But also, I had been in that fandom since I was a young child, uh, and I'm mainly a mono-fandom person, so that's a long time to be obsessed with one thing. Yeah. And Harry Potter was already on the horizon. Yeah, I mean, it, right, so there were lots of other things. You... I, d- I don't, like, you know, I do, I go back and I watch uh, episodes sometimes, you know, arcs, and uh, I have mm. a lot of positives. I have a lot of, you know, good feelings for it, too, but I just, I know that I left, and I also have, I have a funny little story about my daughter. Yes. <laughs> so I have two daughters, and yes. the, uh, the older one was old enough to remember Enterprise or watching Enterprise uh, as, a, as, a, as a little. Um, so you know, my, my baby was a baby, but, <laughs> but, but my older daughter was nine when her sister was born, so she was around there. And, you know, bef- a little before and after. I, I don't even, was it 2004 did Enterprise mm. come out? Is that correct? And Eris was born in 2005. Uh. Am I making I things up? I would say it was earlier than that. It was 2001 and it ended in 2004? Is that true? Yes. Okay, yes, so it was 2001 it. and it ended in 2004. Because I was still a beauty. So Eris wasn't even born. <laughs> which is wow. why, um, Which is why she, her first Star Trek was uh, Star Trek 2009. <laughs> yes. And uh, she loves Star Trek. I mean, you know, she, she wouldn't say, I guess love is, love is a little strong. Um, but she enjoys watching Star Trek with me. That's nice. And Enterprise maybe didn't have that effect on your no, older daughter. No, my older daughter. I, we, I, you know, she also. I, I tried to bring her to the, uh, the, the those the Kelvin movies as well. Mm. And and she was like, I don't really like Star Trek. I don't. I don't want to go see that. And I was like, Well, you haven't. What have you even seen? You know, just just give it a try. And. <laughs> 
And she said, well, I've seen Enterprise. And I was like, don't, don't consider Enterprise your, your baseline Star Trek. And she was like, well, why did we watch it all the time if it's not any good? <laughs> because it was all we had. And I was like, well, it was what was on. That was, that was, when, that was what was on when you were that age. And I'm, <laughs> I feel terrible that her first experience. So if it was 2001, she was like six. It's a very formative age. Yeah, that was her first experience with Star Trek. Oh. And she doesn't like Star Trek. <laughs> but I have, yeah. we, we've got her, you know, I gave her a list of Next Generation episodes to watch because she wants to watch Deep Space Nine because we talk about it so much. Yes. And she wants to watch Voyager because I always say that's my favorite. And but so she's, she's starting with Next Generation but not watching all of it. That's why. <laughs> so that she doesn't have to see the terrible parts. But so. I received a text from my friend uh, during the week saying, My flatmate has started watching TNG because her first Star Trek was Discovery. But I told her to start at season three. That was correct, right? Yeah. And I'm like, part of me wants to say, Oh no, you must watch Conspiracy. No one. I love Conspiracy, but no one needs to watch that right, episode. Exactly. Just start at season three. <laughs> yeah. So. So, yeah. That, that's my, my, my poor child. And so don't, don't start with Enterprise. <laughs> is is the, uh, the, the end result of that. And it also, yes. it's not necessarily representative of the no. Star Trek ethos. At its best, it's an interesting deconstruction. And, and that's a really cool story, but it's not a starting point. Right. Even even Discovery is a better starting point than Enterprise, yeah. even though it is similarly deconstructive. And the like the deconstruction is I I was I have said before, I like prequels. I like uh, you know, taking things apart and putting them back together again. Mm. And and so I, I like messy. I like I the I, the idea, the potential of Enterprise is really good. They just oh, sort yeah. of miss a lot. <laughs> I remember seeing the first, you know, the first, the early versions of the premise coming out and the casting call. And I remember looking at the outline for T'Pol's character or T'Pol as she was at that early stage and thinking, yeah, I don't like that it's a male captain again, but this could be really interesting. Right. And then I have very vivid memories of watching Broken Bow because I had to go out to a friend's place way out in the suburbs and it was the very first torrented um, media that I ever watched and so that was exciting that's a, a history of television piracy in Australia and I really disliked it but I had such strong feelings about Broken Bow and the next few episodes that I actually set up a section on my GeoCities account it was called the decontamination chamber and I was basically reviewing and snarking on each episode. That's how much I disliked it. That's amazing. I love the title. <laughs> because Thank can you. I just say, I... the decontamination mm. chamber is the worst. <laughs> I know, I know. And I think I straight up said, uh, this is a terrible concept, but it's such a great title, I have to use it anyway. I, I found that page on the Wayback Machine, and I guess I could link to the archive or something through our show notes, but... It was very interesting to read it again last year, recently, and think, gosh, so many of the, my opinions from back then hold up and I still have similar criticisms. And some of these jokes are really funny, 
But oh gosh, I had a lot of misogyny directed at Jolene Blaylock. Mm. Like I was, I just made her the target of a lot of really unpleasant remarks. So that was. I don't think you were alone in that. To see. Oh no, uh, I wasn't. I had been fighting against that sort of attitude among feminist fans in Voyager directed at Jerry Ryan. So why did I turn around and decide that Jolene Blaylock was an acceptable target? Mm-hmm. I don't want to be body shamey, but watching watching Enterprise, I'm always struck by how thin she is. And I, I, I just, the jutting, I know the jutting hip bones and prominent breast implants were very fashionable at the time, but it's just uncomfortable to see. It looks uncomfortable. And then I think, am I, am I body shaming her? And no one forced her to get those implants. And, you know, everyone back then in, in show business had those jutting hip bones. Why am I targeting her? Mm-hmm. And she started as a model. Yeah. And she doesn't do that. She was happy to leave modeling and now she no longer acts. And I feel like I I get the impression she got a really raw deal and wasn't that well treated on the show or behind the scenes or by fandom. And that makes me really sad. And I I really wish that I could go back in time and shake my younger self. I remember reading interviews with her before the show even started and and she was like a huge fan. Like she was so into Star Trek and so excited to be playing, you know, whoa, a Vulcan, a Vulcan. In Starfleet before, you know, before even Spock was there. It was, it was just, she had so much enthusiasm and I just feel really sad about how it doesn't... How all of that yeah, went down. It's, it's really... And I, I mean, I love T'Pol a lot. I know, T'Pol is a great character who is frequently very badly mistreated by the, the scripts and... I don't know if jo- if Blaylock is necessarily a good actress, but she is good as T'Pol. And I think that you get that with a lot of Star Trek actors, yeah. frankly. You know, as an actor, Gates McFadden is a great choreographer, <laughs> but she is amazing as Beverly. I like, you know, I like to, to look at the costuming and talk about yes. the costuming. And I, I both love and hate everything about T'Pol's costuming <laughs> because it's, it's super, I mean... Like, wait till you see how how punched up everything gets in the later seasons because if you think her her jutting uh, hip bones are um it it just like they super sexualize her more oh my god like I've seen pictures yeah but... I mean it's like what I call the sofa jumpsuit that she wears in the first two seasons is skin yes. tight, but it at least it goes up to her neck and it's in sort of Vulcan colors. She starts and wearing... And it kind of, like, it looks like that, that couch jumpsuit. It looks like the fabric can re- yeah. breathe a little. It looks like it can move. It looks more comfortable, frankly, than Seven of Nine's unitard. The, and, and then she gets... Uh, a redesign and she starts wearing pink and purple and light blue and it's like very super girly like Powerpuff Girl colors and they're somehow even more skin tight but in in soft fabrics and yeah I saw a lot of velour I love it because it's sort of like oh to Paul once she's like out out of the thumb of the Vulcan High Council, she like wears what she wants to wear, and she's a super girly fashionista Vulcan, and that's great. But at the same time, it's like that's not actually why it happened. And as a you know, as a 
behind the scenes feminist type person it's like ew why are we forcing her yeah. into this feminine box and and you know she has to be this she has to be super girly and super thin and everything is right out there the, oh all the her zippers go all the way down and it's just like yeah oh god it's it's a little disturbing, and so like as much as I mean, we're I'm, now here. I've already skipped into the later seasons, but as much <laughs> as the 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 first couple seasons, like even the 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 white jumpsuit she wears in that one episode, and it's like wow, that's very see through white jumpsuit you got going on there. It's like it she's barely was. wearing anything, but even that, like she wears a white jumpsuit in the later seasons, and it it. It goes, you know, the zipper goes down. She no longer has the high collar. And oh, it's just God. like, really? How can you make that more that? But they can. They're just really talented that way. But if you can sort of just look at the... If you can get past the costuming and the dialogue and even some of the plots <laughs> and just go to the performance... So basically everything. Like... Yes. Tapal is a great character who I love and I just I want I she's the I would love her to show up on Discovery. It would be like the perfect thing and sadly they're now in the wrong century, but I really I and I also just I want I want Jolene Blaylock to get like a a better run, like a, a better ending. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. A, like a here we we actually respect and support and and want you <laughs> to be a part of this. In this house, we love and support yeah. Nicole. And, and so it would honor her. And so I'm sad about that. No, I think I think that puts it really, really well. And then you have Hoshi, the only other female character who is <sighs> barely there and is just really stereotypical. And again, Linda Park is wonderful and she's been working pretty steadily since Enterprise and she does consistently good work. But Hoshi is just like, I just think the girl who is scared of space was considered regressive as far back as the original series. Uh, and I mean, I mean, honestly, like Hoshi's best scene is like her first scene in Broken Bow and that's it. Like it's, it, they somehow never capitalize on her character or what it, what it could be. They just throw her yeah. into these ridiculous, I'm afraid of this, and I, you know, and that, like, it's not, yes, it's regressive, but if you, if you do it in a new and interesting way, if you show her, like, they try to, you know, show her getting over it, but it's so, it's so pat and so, like, contrived, yes. it's just like, that, that's not how this works. You don't understand what you gave to, like, if that's going to be her one character trait, you really need to develop it better than you did. Yes. And the thing is, space is terrifying. I've been, you know, it's coming up on the anniversary of the moon landing. I've been consuming a lot of stuff about the Apollo program. Space is very scary. And I think one thing that Enterprise does, not consistently well, but somewhat well, is demonstrating how big and scary and unknown space is it's really quite logical for a, a person to find that disturbing but because Hoshi is the only one the logic of it is never really validated 
even even the episode where she goes through the transporter and starts to disappear and then it turns out that it was all a dream uh it was just it it felt like she was being gaslighted yeah and it's uh i mean mayweather who is another character that is very poorly served by the series but he also one whose actor has gone on to do you know consistently good work he has so much potential it's so interesting to have this space brat with yes. the people, like the the one who's afraid of space, the one who's been desperate to get into space his entire life. And, you know, it's like there's there's so many interesting character dynamics that just go nowhere. I love Travis, and I love all of the episodes that deal with his background as the space brat, the, the, the right. space boomer, they call him. Because this whole, he really represents the transition from... Uh, now space. capitalism yeah. and sub warp five commerce into what the federation is going to become and since we don't really get to see anything about how humanity on earth moved away from capitalism i think it's really a shame that we don't get to explore that via travis much either right it's like you know it, it, they did this sort of to Geordi too where it's like every every you know 18 episodes they'll be like okay let, let's let's throw an episode this way and and yes. and they you know it, it's like when you only ever get to be presented as a full character like every 15 episodes it's you you don't have a full character you know and it no the the actor can act their heart out in all of the other scenes but they're not getting the spotlight they're not you know they're in there it's just not you have to be looking for it and you mostly have to make it up in your head i guess yes you know when i discovered that was travis's background or rediscovered i should say i was really excited to learn more about it and i'm so sad that purely on a world building level but also because anthony montgomery is beautiful and talented and i wanted to see more of his beautiful talented face every episode <laughs> that it was just such an afterthought yeah. and meanwhile we have archer and his very rote daddy issues <laughs> and he wants to be the captain and they say he isn't good enough and he follows the rules too closely and he's going to show them and, and all of that yeah, it's not and not a story we haven't seen before it's really not and i'm not saying that it was i i can see how after cisco and janeway there might be an inclination to go back to a white male american captain you know even picard wasn't american but oh my god just doing it in the most boring and obvious and routine way you know, white American men are not inherently boring, I'm sure. <laughs> we hope. Uh, well, so this I'll bring up that my, um, I photocapped the first episode of Enterprise. I haven't um, done any mm. more of the series yet, but I did the first, the pilot episode and I posted it and my um, brother read it all and he's never seen a single episode of Enterprise because, you know. Mm. He, he is a yeah, wise person. So, so, and he, like, he asked me, you know, who are those two identical white men and do you ship them? <laughs> and I said, Was oh, he talking about Archer and yeah. Trip or Trip and Exactly. Reed? So I was like, that is 
Captain Archer and, and Trick Tucker, and yes, I do ship them. And he said, no, I meant the other two identical white men. <laughs> Neither of whom is Scott Bakula. And I was like, okay, so that's Malcolm Reed. And I guess I ship them, but not really. <laughs> like, <laughs> but he, he was like, they, yeah, so our conversation was, who are the two identical white men? This one, this one. Oh, wait, there's, there's three <laughs> identical white men, it turns out. Because he knew who Scott Bakula was. Scott Bakula has a great face. You know, he's a good actor. He's very charming. They spent a lot of time showing off his bare thighs in the first few episodes. And I'm like, okay, so it's not just Jolene Blaylock being sexually objectified. I just... Oh, yeah, everybody. Don't find Everybody Archer. is sexually objectified. Like, every single Excuse one of me. them gets to be naked in the decontamination chamber. Except for Phlox. Where is my hot naked Phlox action? I don't know when it is, but I do remember there are being like, oh, Flux finally got his shot at being good <laughs> undressed in the decontamination chamber. I'm just so glad that my polyamorous dad bod doctor got, gets his moment. <laughs> oh, Flux. <laughs> yes. But poly- poly- polyamorous in the most boring way possible. I know. Doesn't he specifically like no homo his relationships yes, exactly. with his wives, other it's husbands? It's like if you're gonna go there, <sighs> why do you gotta be heteronormative about it? At least don't specifically take the the possibility off the table. Exactly. He he even like specifies that his wives' other husbands are. And it's like, ugh, just just, ugh. it makes me angry. <laughs> I feel like more than. More than other Star Treks, Enterprise seems to suffer from Rick Berman's refusal to depict queerness. And not that the other Star Treks didn't suffer for it, but I think maybe because this is by now the 21st century. And it's just, you get these terribly, terribly clumsy scenes where Malcolm Reed reminds us that he is a red-blooded heterosexual man. He likes the women. He likes their bums. I definitely think that they use the fact that it's a prequel as an excuse for going back to Red-Blooded All-American Boys Club. Like, yes, it's very, you know, they're like, oh, well, why would we have equality of of men and women in the cast if, uh, you know, if we didn't, it's a prequel. And it's like, yeah, it's a prequel that takes place 200 years from now like i'm sorry but i'm i'm pretty sure that that's not a it's that's not a thing you you can't it does it it does the opposite of discovery you know whereas discovery took the 23rd century and added women and added queer people and and said look we've been here all along enterprise goes no they're not invented yet this is (laughs) pre-1960s they're not invented yet that's really sad well there's i can't remember the title i think it's first flight with the flashbacks to the first warp 5 engine experiments and starfleet tried to get this and it's really full of space program feelings which i'm really into And, and you know you have starfleet mission control and all of that stuff it's really great except there are fewer women involved in star trek starfleet's (laughs) Then we're in the or, 60s yeah, and 70s. That, that actually did all the work when we were doing it. 
Yeah, like the only women we see in that in these flashbacks are the bartender who looks like Tilly's grandmother and a female security officer late in the piece. That's it. This is an operation of men. Ugh. It's historical accuracy, don't you know? Your future is historically inaccurate. <laughs> like it's it's so sad. It's just I, I Funnily enough, the first woman in mission control on the Apollo program was one of the people responsible for bringing Apollo 13 home safely, but she was left out of the movie. I was going to say, she's not in the movie. No! <laughs> I've seen that movie no. a lot. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I read an interview with her that was t- done quite recently and she still seems pretty salty about it. I would be too. I'm salty on her behalf. Enterprise has such interesting ideas. We have great world building or hints at great world building, but the massive social upheaval of Earth post World War Three and the the the, the successful uh, warp barrier thing breaking, and the Vulcans and the Andorians, and, and the revelation that the Vulcans have sort of just been quietly uh, <laughs> being superior all over the quadrant. Basically, the Vulcans are really like they're the villains in Enterprise. I f- I find it so. I'm very torn because I love it when an ancient and superior alien race turns out to be massive hypocrites. I love the Time Lords. I love the Minbari. I love the Asari. I love the Vorlons. That's two Babylon Five examples because Babylon Five really gets me. And then you get the Vulcans, and I love it with them too. It's fantastic. But then they're treated so rudely by the humans, even before we realise the depths right. of their hypocrisy. And it just, it feels very xenophobic. And I don't want a Star Trek about a bunch of xenophobes in space. Yeah. I want to believe that the whole point of the United Earth Starfleet is that we've... We're moving past these issues and like, you know, they, yes. So, I mean, and again, it, it's fine to have discord and have that push and pull, but it's just sort of, it's just sort of constant, you know, I, I guess. Yes. The point is that Archer and DePaul come together, I guess, at the end of the day. And that's certainly... You have to assume he gets better. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) because he's, again, he's like, his future is so bright. He's he's everything. He's everything to the Federation. Yes. And certainly their relationship grows and it it becomes, you know, human and Vulcan relationships are my jam. I am yes. I am super down <laughs> with any human Vulcan, you know, that I that there's something really great about that dynamic. And I love it. But if they're the only ones, like it's just it's like a protagonist problem, you know, we are yeah. on their side already because they're the ones these stories are about. So if every yes. other if every other Vulcan is terrible and every other human is like we're for whatever it's, reason it's... we're supposed to be on Starfleet's side most of the time, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and I don't know why, because like I get I, I'm human, okay, I get that. I'm from Earth, but 
it's, again, it's something that takes place 200 years from now and is about going out into space with other alien cultures. Why mm. do I have to identify with Admiral Forrest or whatever? Like, yes. <laughs> I don't. Yes, he's, I guess what I'm saying. He's certainly no Cornwell. <laughs> um, do you think I would be more interested in, in Forrest and Archer if they slept together? I don't know. I think only you can answer that for yourself. I feel like the answer is still no. I just, like, he's boring. <laughs> that's that's yeah. where I'm at. There's nothing he has, exciting. He has the highest number of appearances. I just don't uh, care. Of, of an admiral ahead of Cat. Like, there's Cat and then there's Forrest. But a fraction of the personality. And that's a shame because I think what you're saying with uh, Archer and Apoll being the only ones... There was a real opportunity here to get into the politics of pre-Federation Earth and see the interactions at a higher level between the Admiralty and the civilian leadership and the Vulcans. And surely there are allies among them and weird friendships where they deny that they're friends, but they just hang out every Tuesday. You know, those those are really cool stories. And I, I guess because we are focused on the Enterprise, we don't get back to Earth as much as I would like. But... To lose them altogether, to suggest that they don't happen at all is a real loss. It's it's so interesting. You know, I think that the story we're supposed to be understanding is that it's because T'Pol is so young that she is able to bridge the gap between human and Vulcan relations. Okay. Um, because they really focus on her age a lot. Yeah, yeah, she's in her 60s, right? Yeah. and she's a junior member of the team. And I, I get the impression that she was sort of given to Enterprise because they were like, I guess they're going, sorry, we have to put someone on their ship, but none of us want to go, so you go. We'll send <laughs> like, the kids. Yeah, like, we'll send the person that we can order. But then she, like, likes it, and it's so, sort of like mm. you put her there, like, you put her there because you, you probably, you know, you wouldn't like it, and so... Get over yourself, Vulcans. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, yeah. yeah. So I just I think that they, there's this this weird. It's just it's just weird. I read that the original pitch for Enterprise was that whole the first excuse me the first half of the first season would take place entirely on Earth, and entirely deal with the science and politics of getting Enterprise launched. Yeah, I remember you saying and, that and, before, and I'd never heard it before. Yeah. I think it's amazing. Well, I will dig up I will dig up the blog where I read that because they seem to be pretty solid on sourcing stuff, but that is an amazing idea. Yeah. And I'm so sad that UPN apparently went, mm, no, we want yeah. more no. Voyager yeah. slash Instead, style. let's have time travel from the 31st century. Yay. I'm sorry. That's... I'm not even... <laughs> I'm not even wholly opposed to the temporal Cold War. It's just that I could tell right from the beginning, even when I first watched it, that this is something that they introduced having no idea how how to end it. And I hate that. It just seemed, yeah, it seemed like a, a crutch. You know, instead of using the premise of our series, being pre... Yes. You know, being this, so, like, closer to us now than to what we had been watching. You know, with mm. uh, Voyager yes. and Next Generation, that era. So why are you going to throw that premise out the window 
and be about time travel and like it just seemed like they were they were trying to have it both ways and when you try to do that neither way is served enough about our feelings about (laughs) the end of discovery (laughs) sorry i mean (laughs) well like at least in discovery they're making a clean break in theory, I mean, we yes. I have, obviously haven't seen the third third season, but at least they're, you know, it seems to be more this, more like Voyager situation than a Enterprise situation. Where in Enterprise, they're like, we're gonna have, you know, concurrent ideas, you know, concurrent plots of world, you know, how the Federation was formed on one side and temporal cold war that mm. archer gets dragged into for whatever reason on the other side and which never quite comes together yeah mm. which is a shame because i am not opposed to the concept i think it's really interesting i just think that much like on voyager in season two they were not not really into the whole arc based yeah storytelling and didn't want to do the planning and and God knows, I have started stories going, I'm pretty sure the ending will come together as I write. But I don't start sharing those stories with the public until I am solidly on course for an ending and know how it's going to go. And I mean, and this is also, this is also a lot, I'm sure, a lot of the problems with Enterprise um, are studio-based. Oh, yeah. Because it was very important for it to be a success because it was on UPN. And UPN at the time, the only things that were popular were Star Trek and wrestling. So they- Which, wow. They looked at the, what the audience of these two things, what do they have in common? And they came up with this. So, yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, they someone pitches, hey, what if X happens? Or, you know, what if we do all of, like you said, all of these these cool politics and we don't launch until episode six? And they were like, yeah, no. No one wants that. Yes. We've seen, uh, we've seen how the Phantom Menace was treated. <laughs> so we're not going to do that. <laughs> Which is a fair call. But a television series is not paced like a movie. And I feel like... If, if, say, CBS went completely insane and decided to just straight up reboot Enterprise and do that story with a different cast but similar characters or whatever, I'm sure the execution would be much more in line with our expectations of prestige TV today. Yeah. And, like... And, I mean, for CBS All Access... Oh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, the way that they do, because they're on their... Because they're, you know, this hybrid streaming versus uh Mm. broadcast they you know they filmed the entire season before putting it out yes um or at least you know a a block and uh and so a significant amount yeah and they have it all it you know they certainly have it all plotted whereas i mean definitely i don't know about enterprise but like in next generation people got scripts like two days before they were supposed to be going up so it was very um yeah they were consistently writing normal to television or at least certainly television so i'm not saying that that's bad 
but it's different. It's definitely very different than the way, you're right, the way Enterprise would be plotted today would be very mm. different than the way it was then, I think. Definitely. And I think, you know, I'm almost done with The Good Wife and even that has a level of serialization that was completely new to CBS 10 years ago. Right. Television has changed really, really fast. And this is a 20-year-old Star Trek. Mm-hmm. That's what part of what they punched up in the later seasons too, where they're like trying to do more of an arc. Mm. So, Because 24 was around by then, right? So that they knew that it could be done and it could be successful and popular. Right, so... 24, Alias, all of that stuff was coming out. It was definitely in the, in the mix. Yeah. The other thing is that Enterprise is... In all of its flaws, Enterprise is so much a pro- product of its time. You know, this is very much George W. Bush Book. post 9-11 Star Trek. Oh, yeah. From... From the cowboy captain to with with the daddy issues to the 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 xenophobia and the sort of gung ho humans are best and by humans we mean white American humans. <laughs> I'm sorry, it just makes me so sad. I know, I know. Like, all Star Trek is a product of its time, but this was a particularly terrible time. Yeah, and, I mean, the, the every, what happens to Earth and Trip is a direct 9-11 correlation. I mean, yeah. like a, it's an analogy. Yeah. It's, it's not, like, it's there. It, it's not a subtle metaphor. It is not, no, it is not subtle in any way. I, I, I like Trip. Mm-hmm. Um again mostly because of the performance more than yes. anything about trip but yeah it, a lot of that makes me kind of uncomfortable to be honest yeah i mean i'm, it, I'm a person who when when uh, w won his second term i literally lost my voice for an entire day like i couldn't speak oh gosh i was so distraught by that occurrence in 2003, I went straight from mass to the uh, anti-Iraq invasion protests. My best friends and I, we, we, we didn't have a sign. We didn't know how to make a sign because we were so young. So we brought our Lucius Malfoy cutout <laughs> to the protest. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? What? Possible? Like, like, I don't even know what statement you're trying to make with that. No, no, neither did we. And for the record, I was not part of that decision. I just got there and found them by following the cutout because there were, you know, thousands of people there. I think we were trying to say that Death Eaters were pro-war and Lucius was here to counter-protest in favour of invasion. But who knows? We just really love Jason Isaacs. And that is amazing. Can I reiterate? I mean, we first of all, you guys have young. a Lucius Malfoy standee that you can just bring places. But, um, Not only that, but one of the people there that day still has him and brought him out for a trivia night recently. And we were like, well, if we have to, in- if we have to go protest against the invasion of Iran, maybe we're we ready. should bring him. <laughs> You're ready. That's great. It's a, it's a recurring mm. protest Malfoy standee. <laughs> Fight the power. Apparently so. Yeah. <laughs> With your white supremacist wizard friend. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, going... 
going back to this era is really difficult. Right. I don't like it. That's, that's my that's my point too. Is I just like sometimes yes. I don't want to be thinking about that time period. It's bad enough. Like now is bad enough. Okay. Yes. So I I don't need to go back there too. That's exactly it. And you know the Vulcans. It's kind of like Americans and the French and. Yes, the Vulcans are hypocrites, but it's also like, oh, you think you're so good with your meditation and your emotional restraint. And it's like, they're just, they're not bad. They're just different. Oh my God, they only have, it's a slightly different culture from yours. That's it. Yeah. And not every human culture uh, privileges open displays of emotion. I mean, look, we live on Earth (laughs) Mm. and this show was made here. (laughs) And so... Like, the Vulcans are not actually aliens. They are created by people, you know, based on cultures here. You know, maybe not a specific culture. Fake, but okay. But, like, different, different ways of being that exist on Earth were brought together to create mm. the idea of a Vulcan. Because, I, sorry, but Vulcans aren't real. <laughs> <laughs> they were made up by humans. <laughs> and so Okay, but I'm still good with Santa, right? <laughs> Is there a Vulcan Santa? Probably not. That would be very um, that would be very against Vulcan <laughs> Vulcanism. You you just know that Spock managed to troll McCoy for weeks with his stories about Vulcan Santa. Yes. That would that's a story I would read. But so, so it's, it's still like, it's, I don't know how to explain it, but you, we can't, you know, say I'm, I'm anti-Vulcan. It's like you're anti-something. Like if you're saying I'm, a, it'll take medica- meditation or, um, yeah. you know, like meditation is a thing that plenty of people and cultures honor and use. And so, you know just looking down and sneering at it is still offensive, even if it's couched in Vulcanism, is is where I'm going. That that is a really good way of putting it. And yeah, it's just so uncomfortable to see and it's so narrow-minded. And these are not the people that I want to follow into space as the first representatives of humanity. Right. You know, it's (laughs) bad enough that John Glenn had issues with women. This is again where I say everything that's wrong with the Federation is Jonathan Archer's fault. (laughs) But I still love him. Some things are the Vulcan's fault. It's not all him. Okay, I guess that's true. We discussed that last week. Speaking of which, let's be wholehearted in our praise for a moment. How great are the Andorians in Enterprise? Yes. And I love that we finally get to know the Andorians. Yes. And they're cool. They're yes. different. They're not human and they're not Vulcan. It's like, wow. Yes. They're, they have their own they have their history own and their own internal politics. And really, you know, a, a really different outlook from either a Vulcan or a human. Like, that's what, that was needed and it was it's great. Yes. And I love that Shran is an absolutely formidable military enemy, but he's also a smooth-talking guy you can have a drink with. You know, I think sometimes Star Trek falls into the trap of warrior, grr, or intellectual. 
And, and Shram is both. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's like a real character. He has... Yes. He has his own uh, needs and desires. Like, he really... He comes off as a as a an equal to Archer and to, I guess, Soval. <laughs> and I guess. <laughs> I'm so mean. I'm sorry. <laughs> I really, I think I said this last week, but I love the actor who plays Soval because he plays it so much like Mark Lennard and he looks like Mark Lennard <laughs> in an odd way. And, and I'm just very impressed by that casting. And I just wish he was a better character, which... You know, we could say that about so many yeah, characters on, about on Enterprise. Enterprise. We could say about everybody, practically. Yeah. But yes, the, the Andorians are a gift. Right, exactly. And and they, they are proof that Enterprise is totally capable of doing their prequel world-building, alien mm. culture, political drama stuff. They can do it. They just... Do other stuff instead. Never. <laughs> and it's a, it's yeah. like I wouldn't the should, the series shouldn't be only that either. Like I totally understand they it, you want to have lots of little episodes that are about other things, and you, of course we want to explore space. That's it's called Star Trek. I get it. We want to go yes, out and, that's and what do, we do stuff. But it just seems like even when they meet new cultures, they just I'm let down by what what could be so interesting yeah they just Can go I the most obvious much... routes yes and even we can talk about anything like the alien oh thank you that is so kind <laughs> i know i've been having this pain in my knee um <laughs> i watched cogenitor this was a mistake it is if you haven't watched it, and I don't recommend it, uh, Enterprise comes across a really cool race of people. They're quite, they're much more advanced, they're curious, they're intellectual, they're just really great to hang out with. And they have three genders, which is shocking <laughs> to the crew of the Enterprise, except for Phlox, who's like, eh, seen it. But there's the male and the female, and then there's the cogenitor, who is referred to with the pronoun it, and who looks outwardly like a woman and is necessary for conception. And Trip just takes it into his head to befriend the cogenitor and educate them, and they become friends. The cogenitor starts to ask for their rights. They request asylum on Enterprise, which uh, Archer ultimately refuses, and so the cogenitor kills himself. And at the end... Archer is, first he blames only Trip, who is not without fault here, but denies any personal responsibility for himself, despite the fact that he is the one who denied the cogenitor asylum. And then he's like, mourn for the cogenitor, but also mourn for the children who will never be conceived. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm going to swear. What the fuck? <laughs> like, I started yeah. thinking, this is a bit like The Handmaid's Tale in space. And I'm like, it doesn't know how offensive it is it manages to be misogynistic and offensive to gender diverse people at the same time oh my god it was terrible and it was actually really upsetting and I was having this physical reaction like I was sweating and my heart was racing and I'm like why am I an extremely binary cis person so upset by this and I, it's, it's it was just offensive in its badness and then worse I, I went looking 
I, I went looking at reviews, like from fan sites, there are a handful of blogs that I whose opinions I generally agree with. And they were both like, oh yeah, this is such a great episode. It really makes you think this is Enterprise coming into its own. And I'm like, this is a story set up so that cis people can feel really, really good about how about how bad they feel about the suicide of a genderqueer person who felt that life was not worth living. Guys, this is not a progressive story. It was bad in 2003 or four or whatever it was. It's worse now. And, and so I have, a lot of, I have a lot of feelings about this episode. It was very upsetting. And, and I was just shocked at what a bad captain Archer was. And we discussed yep. this on Twitter. Uh, and and in, in not taking, not acknowledging his responsibility. Like that is yep, a dog act. Is. And, and oh it was, it was this, when I was asking, I, you know, I said, hey, I'm, I'm writing about the captains of various series mm. and I'm stuck on Archer. Or suggest some episodes like, I, I can s- watch to remind myself what kind of captain he is. This was a few, this was a few years ago. And this is, mm. this is the episode that was suggested as a shining example of of the kind of uh, captain Captain Archer is, and I was like, so mm-hmm. he's the worst. <laughs> like, wow. And and then I mean, and yeah, to to this person's credit, they were like, yes, that's what I was trying to. <laughs> that's what I was trying to get across. I was like, okay, oh, okay. cool. Because uh, it's had me just, worried there. It's really, really disturbing. I mean, like he. I think with my Archer goggles on. I can explain that he, you know, is feeling so terrible about, about the whole situation. And at this point, like, he, he you know, he goes into this, like, deep depression <laughs> throughout the series where he starts out as, like, mm-hmm. a, a literal puppy dog in space running around, sniffing everything and, and being really excited to, to get outside and see all the new things. And he leaves a a trail of destruction in his path and eventually realizes it and is like, wow, I screwed up and now everything is horrible and and I'm, I'm horrible. And, uh, you know, and, and, but, and, but then in a very, you know, Archer way says, and that means that humanity, like the Vulcans were right all along and humans aren't ready for this. And, and humanity is is doomed, and and we have to ha- you know we have to come up with rules and regulations to stop anyone else from making the mistakes I made, which is an interest. Mm. Again, this is a really interesting, great thing for them to explore, but they explore it in episodes like Gender, where it's just like, oh my god, <laughs> the like, yeah, and and the thing is that as those reviews show, I don't think that the authors or the audience realized what they were doing <laughs> like they they no, didn't and I think take that's what's most as, upsetting as this this character arc that i made up with my archer goggles they took <laughs> it as yeah something that is like exploring interesting you know being very star trek about about looking at this issue and it's like sort of yeah it was kind of Star Trek to look at that issue that way. 
and just yeah not come to the right conclusions at any point like it it has been compared with the outcast the tng episode where Riker falls in love with a member of an androgynous species who wants to identify as a woman which as a metaphor for gay rights or was not great but as a metaphor for trans and gender recognition is actually pretty effective but the thing is that Riker's love uh Soren the the love interest in that episode knew what she was and asked for it and was very proactive whereas Trip just kind of comes in and white knights the the cogenitor and I'm not saying that he he is obviously right that they are being oppressed and mistreated and deserve better but there are ways to go about that that are not terrible yeah and the fact that they kill themselves in the end and it's sort of like you so you end up with yes this, this debate almost of like which ending is is quote unquote better the one where yes she's rewritten or the one where they you know they take their own life and and so one, the choice is taken away from them, and the other, they they make the choice, but it's literally the last choice they ever make. But neither of these are yes. good outcomes. Is the end of you know, they like we shouldn't have mm. to have this debate over which of these outcomes is the more positive because they are both horribly negative. And I, yes, and the co- cogenitor doesn't recognize that there are real people who are in this, you know, real women are exploited for uh, the purposes of conception and real people are non-binary. And I realise that was less of a well-known thing in the early 21st century. But the misogyny, this is entirely theoretical and you can just feel the writers patting themselves on the back for how clever they are. Yeah, exactly. It was just bad. It was just bad. But then... Because we're almost at an hour, but I just want to talk about two episodes that I really liked in the second season. One came right after Cogenitor, and I almost didn't appreciate it, but it was the Borg episode. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people were like, I remember I wasn't watching Enterprise at the time, but I was like, oh my god, they're doing the Borg? Seriously? <laughs> but I thought it was really effective. It was creepy and really, really scary and... It actually explains why the Borg are already in the Alpha Quadrant at the beginning of the uh, of Next Gen and why they're randomly destroying outposts along the neutral zone. You know, these guys called them. It wasn't just Q. It was... Well, and yeah, and because you have to remember as a Voyager person, like Seven of Nine's parents were studying the Borg before... Years before Q. Right, so, so like the Borg were around and were yes being researched and so it's not like a weird retcon or at least it's yeah a continual weird retcon if it is um it's it's explaining the discrepancies which is my like again that's why i like prequels and and things or it's like yes. it's taking something that's like we've we've never understood this thing and so now we're going to fill in the blanks around it and yes. to give more of a a picture you know like put in the puzzle pieces so that the image is revealed yes it's like taking a tangle of thread which is canon and pulling all the knots out until it all works yeah and it was just it was a good episode it was 
fun to watch from behind my cushion because I'm a wimp about scary things. And the other one that I really liked was, I think it was called Judgment, the one where uh, Archer is on trial with the Klingons for something or other and the guy that played Martok plays a grizzled old Klingon lawyer. Mm -hmm. And it's very much a very cheap homage to Star Trek VI and the Repente scenes. Yeah, right. yeah, which is <laughs> fine. I feel like with better lighting, it would not have looked so cheap. But I actually really liked it for what it did with the Klingons. The Klingons. Because I, I checked. Yes. Yeah. Because it aired right, right as America invaded Iraq. And here is this old man going, my society used to be great, but now we're so militarized and we're losing our way. And one, that is fantastic world building for the Klingons. And it kind of points to why they're so corrupt mm-hmm. and without honor by the 24th century. And it felt like the beginning of the pivot towards the Klingons, not as the Soviet Union or some nebulous other, but the Klingons as America. And then that's a pivot that was completed in Discovery. Yeah. With, with Takuvma being explicitly based on the old right. And I just thought that was brilliant. Unintentional, obviously, with the Discovery <laughs> stuff. But, but after you know, all these years, finally something new was added to the Klingons. Right, and it's not completely crazy to think. I mean, Discovery cared, like, they care about connecting to the other stories. And yes. Enterprise is the only one that happened before them. So, yes. so they can't ignore it. So I wouldn't say that it's complete, like, it's it's on Discovery's end, not on Enterprise's. Um, but yes. I think it, it is part of the conversation because the people who made Discovery went and looked and see, saw what they wanted to, to bring in. I mean, Jonathan Archer is on screen and mentioned by um, Admiral yes. Cornwell. So it's not like they didn't ignore Enterprise. <laughs> they, they, it, it matters um, as much as someone might have wanted them to. You know, for all of my complaints about Enterprise, I am really glad that it is still integrated into the canon. And yeah. for all its flaws, I think it is telling useful and there interesting are... and important stories, just with a lot of terrible filler around them. My favorite episode in the first two seasons is Carbon Creek. Oh, that's about, interesting. Uh, about T'Pol's grandmother. Yes. And how she, like, went to live in a, like, mining town in the Depression era or something. Yeah, they end up stranded in It's a so good. Town Wait, in the I don't, 50s. Yeah, in the 50s, because they have a television, right? So... I Love Lucy is on. I love that episode for, you know, there's uh, there's the trio. There's T'Pol's grandma, who's also played by mm. Jolene Blaylock, and then there's the two men. And... The one that they leave behind, the Vulcan that they leave behind, he is so adorable. Mm -hmm. And so, like, he's, like, that's when when I complain about there not being enough variety in Vulcans. Like, this is an exception. He is a Sarek, I'm going to say, kind of Vulcan, (laughs) in that he's super interested in humanity and in in Mm. learning about, like, he's sort of like, well, we're stuck here, so why shouldn't we go find out who these people are and do stuff with them and and be interested in their lives and you know mm. and i just i really like that he's just so adorable and i like that to paul's grandmother tamir that she makes the decision to 
to make it so that he can stay there. Because he likes taking yes. he, he falls in love, and he had, like he has this whole he has a life there, and it's a he's happier there than he was, ever was in their little space, you know, their three three man space shuttle. So doing research or whatever, like you know, they, this is one of those things where the Vulcans have been watching the humans for many years because <laughs> <laughs> they're total creepers. But um, <laughs> and so like the idea that Tamir's grandmother acknowledges this and recognizes it and makes it so that he can stay like that is a a through line through to who to paul is and i I, yes. I like that connection i'm a very i'm a huge fan of legacy and and family and and mm. all those little things and coming together and it's just so it's so different it's you know most of the episode takes place in this 1950s past and yes. the rest of the episode takes place like at a dining table, just between the the main crew there, the the uh, yeah yeah the, the trio. It's just Archer, the trio, Trip and <laughs> Topol. Right. Yeah, and Topol is definitely not getting drunk as she drinks wine and tells this story. <laughs> it. So I just um I just want to give a shout out to. I think that that it's sort of like hmm. you you can watch it without ever seen another episode of enterprise <laughs> like if you just want to watch something fun that happens to have vulcans I, in it watch that <laughs> i didn't mind carbon creek but it annoyed me that we have this whole story about tamir coming from an egalitarian alien society and suddenly she has to wear high heels and girdles and we don't really get her take on that and it must have been very uncomfortable for her yeah well, and that's because- the story i wanted because it is more, yeah, it is, yeah. you know, she, she, like, she's, she goes through, she has her little arc, but the, the person who really has a story is the, the guy. Yeah, um, yeah, and that, that is just Enterprise all over. Really. <laughs> right, exactly. It's like they sort of, they <laughs> also, they wave at the idea of Tamir having a plot, mm, but they don't, yes, she's, it's sort of more Tamir involves herself in his plot than, Yes. It's hers to begin with. And also we get the silhouette nude of Tamir as she changes clothes and revealing that she doesn't wear a bra because bras are a log- bras are illogical, I do understand, but sometimes there's jiggle. Anyway, and this came just an episode after Hoshi literally falls over and her shirt comes off. Um <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to say to <laughs> that. that. There's just, just like pause. <laughs> <laughs> I like the costuming in that episode, though, because I, I like quite good. Yes. I like the fifties lines, and like it's fun, and you know, I just, yeah. I thought Tamir had a really cute Audrey Hepburn thing going. Yeah, that I really liked. Right, exactly. So, yeah, it's just fun for me. I yeah, I like yeah. this flashback kind of dealios, and sort of yeah. it's also you know Tamir is and Tamir Tapal is telling this story about Tamir that is sort of like you know, family legend. <laughs> it's, you know, yes. it's not, it's not necessarily a, a completely accurate representation of what happens. It's sort of the, mm. I, I, yeah, it's the idea of it. So it's like, it's fun. It's sort of like a, an interesting take on what, what you can do with, with these character archetypes that you have. 
There's a phrase they use on the podcast, The Greatest Generation, which I think is describes this sort of episode, Star Trek as a place. Yes. And, and using the Star Trek setting and context to tell different types of stories. And I think this is one of the best examples of that in, in Enterprise yes. so far. That and First Flight. And, you know, once again, both of them have the gender issues that run throughout Enterprise. Right. They, I mean, it's just yeah. like, it's straight up... The gender issues run throughout Enterprise. <laughs> like, that's just the way it is. Yeah. And I'm sure that, I hope, in fact, in 20 years, pe- people will be podcasting from their brains about Discovery going, oh, look, I'm sure it was progressive for the 2010s, <laughs> but, you know, they could have done a lot better. <laughs> you know? Yeah. because That's we, what we want. That's absolutely what we want. And, we, and as long as we acknowledge these issues we can we can look at the good stuff and we can enjoy those things like that's how to be a fan of problematic things right. just just you know as long as, as long as you just realize like, that's that's all we really want we just want you to recognize mm. this could have been better in this way that doesn't mean that what mm. is good is not good what is good is good mm. but and this Even other stuff if it's something is terrible also there. and you enjoy it. Right. Yeah. Like like Jonathan Archer. <laughs> <laughs> I do not enjoy Jonathan Archer. I don't even think I would enjoy him if he was a female character, which is usually like I love terrible women. But I I, I just maybe if Jane jo- just... Archer was a hatchet faced woman with mother issues. He just really maybe? I really like that he, what he represents. Like to like I again. I just come back to this. <laughs> everything is wrong. Like I just I sort of love the idea. And again, they didn't mean this. They they don't think no. this is true at all. No one agrees with me. No one who made this series <laughs> thinks that. Uh, they probably don't think there's anything wrong in in the Federation to begin with. But <laughs> I have always you know the me the person who's come from the position of there's a lot of colonialism in this uh in this going you know wagon trail to the stars Mm. i see jonathan archer as absolutely that is the the where it started like i get it yes because he is a bridge between where we are now and Mm. what you know and the next generation like and like i i i get it and i'm hopeful that it is not going to go that way (laughs) that we're gonna get over our imperialism (laughs) before we go out (laughs) into space but again from our very 21st century uh, grounding, you know, this is what we know, and there is a, a limit to the imagination, and in that way, in like a, in like looking at it as a student of sociology, Jonathan yeah. Archer is, is great, Jonathan Archer is just right, he is exactly who he should be, to get from <laughs> 2019 <laughs> to Captain Jolene Picard. And I, I, again, they didn't mean to do that, but I, I can sort of admire it in, in a, 
<laughs> you know, way to show exactly who you are, Star Trek people. It really is a case of when someone tells you who they are, believe them. Yeah, and he's and he's charming, like that, and which is again exactly as it should be. You know, of course, the the straight cis white male <laughs> uh, that you I just want to be against him on principle because we we have enough <laughs> of that. Like I can't help being charmed by. At the same time, that, because that's my human nature. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. He is, we are primed to trust him. It, it's like Lorca. Right. They, they just didn't know that they were writing a, an anti-hero. Yep. Should we wrap up? Sounds good. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> did we? I hope we talked about what we like. I feel like we did, but... We did. There's... We talked about Topol and Andorians and those two episodes that I okay. thought were great. And like, I do not regret most of the time that I've spent watching Enterprise, except for Cogenitor. I just <laughs> there's no getting around that it's a deeply flawed series. But I feel like it's getting easier now that it's not the last of Star Trek on television. There's also to pick out there's... pick out the bits we like there's and a... discard the rest. It's also the, the one with poor Padma Lakshmi. <laughs> Oh, I know. <laughs> like, she was trying so hard and that was such a bad episode. Imagine waking up and discovered you, discovering you've had sex with Trip. <laughs> uh, anyway, before we get off track again, mm. we're good. We're good. Yes. Yay. I, I do want to say I love the opening credits. They're really... Really? Yeah. I, I think they're, the they're beautiful to look song? at. They're absolutely the most... Dynamic opening credits. Um, it's, it tells a great little story. I just really, that's really fun. I will mm-hmm. say, Discovery's opening credits are more dynamic, quote unquote, using that word. But I just really like the way that they look. And I don't hate that song. It's fun to sing along to. Um, when we were, <laughs> again, with, with my poor child, who this is her first Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was it was that time of uh, 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 the the song "Wherever You Will Go" by The Calling oh, was very yes. popular on the radio, and whenever it would come on the radio, we would sing this song to it, <laughs> and it was a lot of fun. So I, I oh. have a lot of like, you know, nostalgia for this cute little family moment. Um, okay. Yes. And I, I, I honestly, I, I like the idea of a, of a song, you know, it's not like the best, but they, everyone's like, oh, the Deep Space Nine music is so beautiful and everything is so, so big and grand and ooh. And I'm like, yeah, but like, if I'm binging Deep Space Nine, I skip the opening because it's also boring after like the third time in... A certain yeah. amount of time, but the Enterprise song is sort of like I can sing, I can sing along, I can dance. It's like at least you know there's something fun there. This is embarrassing to admit, but I'm pretty sure there's a bit in my uh, GeoCities reviews where I express the opinion that a Tori Amos song would have been a better choice. <laughs> and it's it's not that I 
don't think that's not true. It's just that that is very much a me in 2001 opinion. To the point that it's, 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 it's very embarrassing and I'm sorry for everyone who has to deal with the secondhand embarrassment of 20-something Liz and her opinions. I do I kind of want to, like, I, I think I would put in a couple dollars to pay Tori Amos to cover this song, though. <laughs> like, well, like, actually, yes. Wouldn't be, that would, it's not the way there's, there are, there are not, you know, there are worse ideas, I guess is what I'm going to say. <clears throat> yeah. But so I just, I could anyway. I couldn't let it, I couldn't let it slide, <laughs> especially since it changes in the third season and I hate it. Oh, good. The new the new version uh, is the worst. <laughs> I will watch it and report back one day. We have to we have to finish the Good Wife before it leaves Netflix at the end of the month. We have a season and a half to go, so I'm not allowed to watch anything else between now. Okay, and then. cheerleading. Uh, I will now do our outro. <laughs> uh, no, I have the outro. Oh right. <laughs> <laughs> you had the intro. I'm sorry, I'm Thank tired. Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also find us on Twitter at, at @antimatterpod. Sometimes we post cat pictures and questions for our audience. If you like us, leave an iTunes review. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us in two weeks when we discuss the Star Trek news coming out of San Diego Comic-Con. Unless it's all crap, in which case we'll just find something else to talk about. Probably make fun of Sarek. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>